Hello and welcome to this episode of the Resonate podcast as we continue our series talking about work in prisons with prisoners and ex-offenders. Today, Adrian Hawkins speaks to Tim Snowden, exploring the work of 61 based in Bristol with a discussion that includes what 61 does, the challenges in our justice system today, why hope is so important and a future vision and call to churches for action. Hello, I'm Adrian Hawkins, and I'm here with Tim Snowden, the director of 61, the prison charity. And so welcome to the Resonate podcast, Tim. Can I ask you to to start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to work at 61? A little bit about myself. Well, I've been involved in the charity sector for what seems quite a long time now, since uh, 1987. And uh, before that, believe it or not, I was a photographer, something totally different. I became a Christian uh, in, in, in the 1980s at the Christchurch in Clifton. And halfway through the 1980s, I decided it was time to fix the world, a project I'm still working on. Um, and I, I moved into, into the voluntary sector and worked for a children's charity, National Children's Home, as it was then, way back then. Then worked in the, with disability, with deaf blindness, um, and then I got a job in Bristol, which I was really delighted about because I had been a lot of travelling backwards and forwards to London with the, the environmental charity called Sustrans. And during that period, um, a good friend of mine, Richard Pendlebury, um, asked me to become a trustee of a charity that he was involved with called Changing Tunes, which uses music to help um, prisoners. And so um, I was a trustee of Changing Tunes for a number of years. And then as became a bit of a habit, I, I, I swapped uh, sides of the fence and took over running Changing Tunes uh, and became employed by them rather than a trustee. I ran Changing Tunes for 10 years. At that point, I decided it was time to do something else that God was, wouldn't want me to be there forever. You know, who didn't want to get chief executive itis and just be part of the furniture. So not quite sure what to do. I, I uh, handed in my resignation and left there on my 10th anniversary, I think it was. And then really within quite a short time, there was another charity that I'd been involved with starting up at that time called 61. And uh, I was a trustee and I, I did this work with a, a chap called Andy Street and a number of other great people. And what we wanted to do with 61 was just to uh, bring people together across the city to increase the rehabilitative uh, quality of work that was offered. And so I was a trustee. I got asked to do a bit of consultancy. And then exactly the same thing happened again. They said, well, do you mind stepping down as a trustee and actually taking over 61? So I've been involved in the voluntary sector for a long time. I've always felt that you know I need to try and to use the cliche leave good footsteps behind and and try and make the world in a small way a bit better. And I've just been very very fortunate that I've been uh, working in the voluntary sector since 1987 doing that work. Where does the name 61 come from? Well, the name comes from Isaiah 61, and it was one of my trustees, John Barno, who came up with the idea and said, look, you know, we know that this is a God-centred project. We know it's a prayer-centred project. Isaiah 61 encapsulates what we're about, bringing good news to the poor, freedom from the captives, you know, reaching out to people who are despised uh, and on the margins. And so by uh, calling ourselves 61, uh, for me, it feels like you're putting Jesus's name on the centre of a stick of rock. It goes all the way down through the heart of, of, of the organisation. And so that's why we're called 61. I have had a few questions, you know, from people. Why do you use 61? It doesn't tell, you know, people what you do. But it, it's, it honours God. And I believe that God has honoured us because we have honoured him. 
So you said that 61 works on partnerships around the city and, and rehabilitation. Could you give us a little bit more detail of, of what the charity does in terms of how it cultivates those partnerships and, and develop, develop yeah. those? There are three words I use to describe our work. We look to inspire, enable and support. We want to inspire, enable and support the church and Christians primarily, but the wider community as well, to be able to look after, care for, support, help people who come out of the criminal justice system. So first of all, by inspiring, we want to let people know the difference that they can make. You know, I've heard so many times from, uh, from prisoners and ex-prisoners that they were treated like problems to be fixed rather than human beings. You know, someone came along with their clipboard and their tick box, oh, done that, tick that box, and it was meaningless. And, and so many times I've been told that, you know, when they've got in contact, ex-prisoners, with 61, it's the first time in their life, in their life, that someone has been genuinely interested in them. So inspire the church and Christians to realize what an impact just that can have. But then we want to enable. So if you were to say to join our Mentor Me mentoring program, you know, you go through extensive mentoring training. It's not just, you know, a two hour course. It's over uh, two days and two other sessions. And then if you want to take it on from there, another session. So we're equipping people because you know, uh, a lot of the people we work with are in a very dark and difficult place. And we want to make sure that people are enabled to be able to deal with that and to be able to genuinely help people. And then the support is once we do that, we don't disappear. We stay around, you know, because there are always things that will come out of the woodwork, you know, left of field things that happen. You think, wow, what do I do now? So it's not only with projects like with the Mental Me Project, it's also uh, we've got four churches who we partner with who run hubs. Now, these are based on the hub design, really, that was created by Hope Chapel. Um, but now there are three other churches across the city running these hubs. And a hub provides a, a weekly meeting space for ex-prisoners to come together, maybe share some food, play a bit of pool, ask a bit of advice. And so, you know, we refer people to those hubs. We're not the only referral pathway, but we tend to be the main and we can support them and, and help them. So it's about that, inspire, enable and support. Because if you think about it, there are hundreds of churches in Greater Bristol, okay, hundreds. You think of the potential human resource there is within those churches. But a lot of times people don't get involved in this sort of work because they're fearful or they think it will take over their lives. You know, one of the key points of our mentoring training is about boundaries. Um, and one of the things that I often say is we're not there to help ex-prisoners. We're there to help ex-prisoners help themselves. Because the last thing we want to do is build dependency. Yeah. Because if you help somebody to be independent, you give them dignity. Yeah. And one of the things that a lot of people in prison just do not have is any sense of self-worth and dignity. But it's not that easy because, you know, quite often they'll just try and push. Oh, you do it for me. You do it for me. I don't want to do it. I don't want to make this phone call. Yeah. And so it's actually, no, I'll sit here and help you to make that phone call, but you must do it. And that's a really key aspect of what we, we, we want to do. Is so it's, you know, it's not just inspiring people. Yes, I can help. But then it's equipping them to make a genuine impact. Do you work with prison chaplains or is there sort of preliminary work with, with prisoners while they're still in prison before, before coming out and working in the community in Bristol? Is, is that part of the work or is that sort of a, a transition? 
Yeah, it certainly is, Adrian. Um, uh, we go into Bristol Prison um, every week and East Park Women's Prison most weeks. And what we're looking for, for there is prisoners who are going to be released in the relatively near future and they have a genuine desire for change. It doesn't matter what they've done, what crime they've done, but they really want to change. And then we'll sit down with them and we'll say, okay, tell us what it is you need to achieve to change. So it's them that tell us, okay, this is what I need to do. If I'm gonna live free from crime, this is what I need to do. And so the mentor actually helps them to achieve the tasks which they have set. So it's very practical and okay, these are the things you need to do. How are we going to get you to that point? Now, sometimes when people have been working with a mentor for a long time, our mentors say they would like to change the nature of their relationship uh, and become a befriender. And we can arrange for that if you wish to do that, but we, you've had to be working with a person for a year beforehand. So we know there's a degree of stability. But over 20 of our befrienders, uh, mentors have come on to be befrienders. They might, you know, have them into their house and, and whatever, but we need to see a great deal of, of stability um, and time before we reach that position. So those relationships can deepen and yeah. become yeah, more felt with as the, as the relationship builds. Um, Abs like absolutely, absolutely, because, you know, human beings are relational. And this is one of the things that the prison system, it fails on, in my opinion, is it's dehumanizing. And yep. if you dehumanize people, they're not going to follow rules. Yep. <laughs> it's not rocket science, is it? You know, and what do we want them to do? Follow rules. <laughs> I mean, it just, it's exasperating that we're so blind to the, you know, the folly in the system. That brings me nicely on to the next question, um, the, the, the challenges faced. So you, you've talked about that sense of dehumanization and the, the dependency that often gets created by, by prison. What other challenges, or could you elaborate a little bit on, on those challenges facing prisoners um, in, in this country at the moment? Yeah, I, I think that the prisoners, I mean, obviously when you talk about prisoners, there's a huge range. You can have uh, your local prisons, which have revolving door prisoners, which are coming in and out the whole time, extremely chaotic lifestyles, a lot of addiction issues, um, very bad relationships outside the prison. And then you can have somebody who go to a sex offenders prison, totally, totally different environment, totally different age group, much older, very calm. Uh, um, so it, it varies a lot. But if you look at, say, the Bristol group, because this is a prison you know, local to us, it's a local prison. Uh, if you might have seen the BBC uh, series earlier in the year um, about the chap who was sent to prison, I think it was called Time, um, something like that. That was a pretty good representation of what Bristol Prison can be like and other local prisons. Yeah. Um, I mean, he did choose all the, the negative things that could happen and put them one after the other, but it wasn't a fantasy at all. That is very, very real. So if you've not seen that, I'd look out for it. But when prisoners come out, quite often, you know, they, they have very little resources. They, they feel alone. Um, they might have no housing, which is really depressingly common, be sofa surfing, get pushed back into friendships which are bad for them, where there's a lot of addiction. And there's a lack of sense of hope. It is about treating them as human beings. It's connecting with them and engaging with them and actually showing genuine care. We're then backing that up with, you know, good advice as well. Our society can be quite complex. For someone who's coming out of prison, who's, you know, the average prisoner has got about a reading age of a new, uh, 10 and a half or 11 year old, but, you know, supplied with masses of paperwork and then they maybe can't get on the internet and they're not allowed to get on the internet, you know, or, or they're in a hostel where there are people taking lots of drugs. It's just, you know, people are very fearful of being released 
from prison. And so what we're, we, we like to do is literally meet people from the gate if we can do, even though we get a lot of referrals from probation of people who are already out of prison, just to really try and send them on a good path from, from the beginning. So we had a little bit of a chat before about the, the sort of the structural issues um, that 61 is, is addressing. Could you tell us a little bit more about what is wrong with the prison system and as, as a sort of as a structure at the moment in this country? And it sounds like there's a lot of lot of holes in that 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 need addressing by charities like yours. Yeah, I think what's wrong is we can't mind, make our mind up as a people whether we want prison uh, to be rehabilitative or, or just punishment. The academic position and the accepted position by the government is that taking away your freedom is your punishment. Then it should be rehabilitative. But uh, there's just simple things like I really strongly believe that being a prison officer should be a career path. You know, if you go to Scandinavia, you have to do a degree to become a, you know, a prison officer. And the whole process from beginning to end is, isn't dehumanising. It's about actually equipping somebody so when they're released, they won't commit the crime again. But the part of the problem we've got in this country is, in a way, it's, it's easy to blame politicians, but we get the, the, the prisons that we deserve in a way because we're in a democracy. Yeah. And one of the reasons that the politicians don't really um, make the prisons much more rehabilitative is because it doesn't win votes. What one prison governor said to me, is, he said, you've got to remember, I've got two bosses, Minister of Justice and the tabloids. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and the electorate uh, behind that, yeah. Yeah, so so it's partly, you know, uh, we live in a democracy. Politicians give us what people want, and there are too many people who have a really draconian view of what prison should be like. And really, you know, prison, uh, I mean, crime costs an estimated 13 billion a year. You know, there's a huge, huge saving, but it's not only that, it's when you see the chaotic lives. And also early interventions are really part of a good, important part of this because so many people's course to prison is set at a really young age. If your parent goes to prison, the chances of you going are increased very, very significantly. We run one of our projects is called the Christmas Gift Project, where the churches help us uh, uh, to pack bags of gifts and get given out to 1,400 prisoners. And that came about because an ex-prisoner said to one of our trustees, that not only have they never received a Christmas present in their life, but never even a Christmas card. So when people are growing up in those sorts of environments, but seeing a different world around them, it's just very confusing. I, I remember one ex-prisoner saying to me that, you know, that he said that it just took him a really, really long time to believe that there could be a world with trust and love in it. Yeah. Because he just thought that was a made-up nonsense on the television. He said, you know, we just put that out to, you know, comfort ourselves. He, he did not really believe there was any concept that that could be real. And it took him years to actually come to that realisation. Um, and then I think that's another thing as well, is when people are extremely damaged, you don't fix them by putting them on a six-week course. Yeah. I'm afraid when people are damaged, it is a long, old slog. So the support needs to be there for a long time. But I do genuinely believe as well that the... the Local community support is really important. It's, it's great to have statutory support, but it's local community support. Do you feel welcome? Are people kind around you? I mean, if you think of just the way the employment system works, if you've been to prison, quite often you just can't get a decent job. So everything keeps you at the bottom the whole time. And if you're stuck at the bottom the whole time and you know there's no way out of it, why should you bother? You know, you want to, you want to punch back. That's what you want to do. And so people do. So it sounds like it's very much a both and fix that the, there's things that the government can do to change, but it's also social change. And there's a, 
yeah. a, a real real role for charities in in bringing about those um those changes for good how do you think about those questions theologically tim does 61 bring a a perspective that is a little different from some of the other charities working in the sector because of its its um christian background well it's interesting I, I, there's a disproportionately high number of christians involved in, in, in criminal justice work and, and i think one of the things the reasons for that is, is that you know we know we are forgiven and we know that we are sinners and i can look at my my life you know i was you know uh, i didn't grow up in ideal circumstances and actually i could have very easily gone down the wrong, wrong path it was it was pretty darn close and if it had my whole life would have been changed i, I think there's a, a sense of we have been forgiven and we have an understanding of being born again i remember one christian a prisoner a guy who became a christian uh, in, in prison uh, in his cell he said to me he said you know you've got to be locked up in a room like this for a while to know the true meaning of being born again. He was so enthusiastic about really his new life. And suddenly that like tunnel vision, old life of, of, of self-destruction and damage to people around him didn't have to be the one thing in his life. He could stand. So for him, it was just such an utter transformation. It was amazing to see. I mean, hope, hope is just absolutely key, you know, when, when we've looked at things, you know, around what's our core identity and, you know, things like straplines and whatever, hope is the word that always comes up. But there are quite a few organisations who beat us to that one around Bristol. So we thought, well, we can't use hope. <laughs> it sounds like there's many prisoners who have been, had their lives changed by uh, the work of 61 and, and other charities like like you. But could you tell us a little bit more about how the, how, what you do has an impact on on prisoners at different stages of their of their lives. Yeah, um, I think that uh, I'll give you an example of someone who really has uh, progressed, you know, very very well. Um, a lady that we were working with who was being mentored, not a uh, particularly young lady, you know, um, which is a lot of the women who go to prison are very young. Um, but she decided she was being mentored. She wanted to put some parts of her life back together. She did an even course and got a, a maths O level. She's done our own mentoring training course. And then she assisted in setting up a hub for women ex-prisoners. So someone who's basically been there and got the t-shirt is helping to run the hub. And, that, and that's, a, that's a great progression, you see, when someone actually does that, because they're taking their experience, their negative experience, and using it for God. And there is a credibility about someone who's got the t-shirt talking to an ex-prisoner and saying, I know, I've been there. And that's always extremely powerful. But also triumphs can be, you know, very obvious like that, but they can also be just as powerful when you know somebody has just stopped taking drugs, you know, and they've got a job. It might not be, an, you know, we might consider an exciting job and they might be living in a bedsit somewhere, but mm. for them, that's a major achievement. And again, it can take a long time to move beyond that. So yeah, it's when you see that sort of progress and when you see people take control of their lives, I think that's the key thing. You know, so many people in prison are out of control. And the prison system tends to make them more out of control. So they give up. Um, and it's just getting people to that point where they feel, yeah, I, I can do this. I, I can control my life um, and I can make something better of it. It must be difficult when that doesn't happen and when there's reoffending and you see people going back into prison after working with them. Is, is that a really hard part of the, the work you do? It, it is. It's 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 uh, it's very hard. I mean, sometimes. I mean, my team, you know, are, are pretty experienced, and we know that sometimes it's reducing the cycle of reoffending. 
Yeah. You know, some people you just come out and my team will say, he's just not ready. He's just not ready. And they'll, they'll go back. And it's about speeding that whole cycle up. There are other times when people go back for reasons which aren't their fault, really. Because yeah. probation, you know, tends to be very cautious because the media will hammer it if it gets it wrong. And so someone will be walking through Broadmead and bump into somebody who they're not allowed to meet and get called back into prison because they've done that. And I've known that happen. And then you get really cross. But I suppose the, 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 the worst thing really is, is that we see high levels of suicide. And the last year has been appalling. And we would normally see, in my experience, uh, suicide about once every three to four years. In the last year, we've had three. And uh, two of those people we knew well. And it's, it's heartbreaking. You know, it's heartbreaking for the team because um, it, it shows how difficult it is. You know, one of the people in particular we'd worked with for a long time, two of them actually we'd worked with. And it just, it, it, it's, it's very, it's very, very tragic. And, and you see that also, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously... Uh, People are going to have very strong views about sex offenders. But the suicide rate for sex offenders is appalling. It's absolutely appalling because quite, you know, quite often, you know, with sex offenders, there is a degree of self-loathing, which is absolutely appalling. And a lot of them just feel like they just can't live with it. And the work of 6061 in, in trying to prevent suicides, that's, again, that sort of working with, with people taking them who who they are and just that sense of worth and, and everything else that you can get across with the long-term relationships and it's about equipping people i mean when we do the mentoring training you know we we we're asking all our mentors to do suicide training our own staff have done that it's about being aware of signs for things like that so as i say you know at the beginning going back to those words once we've inspired people it's about enabling them so it's giving them the skills because there is a danger that some people times people come to care for other people and they don't realize it that they're actually doing it for their own reasons and it's their need to justify themselves to themselves to justify themselves to god and uh, actually that's quite damaging so one of the things about the uh, our, our training is about taking that out to the system saying you know it, this isn't about you it's about the person that's quite an important part of our training and as director of the charity what, what does a, what does a week look like for you are you in meetings all the time or how how does it how does it look I don't spend anywhere near as much time uh, with ex-prisoners that I, I, I would like to, and it's become less and less over the years. So for myself, I mean, I look after all the fundraising uh, in, in the organisation. So there's the fundraising, then there's the, you know, all the, all, all the management of the organisation and all, all those sorts of things that need to be done. So, um, and the building of partnerships. We've got a partnership with a Christian businessman who runs an MBA empowerment course, uh, which is now, you know, run in prison and post-release. So we've been working with Rupert on this project. We're in discussion with a, a BAME organisation about uh, improving our, our support for ex-prisoners from African Caribbean backgrounds. Um, we we want to try and actually work and partner with the church to create a house so some of our mentees can actually have accommodation so there's that development work that i'm looking at doing uh, as well and that's something we want to grow really those partnerships we want to grow more partnerships over the in the coming years and particularly looking for churches or the the role yeah. of churches in those partnerships are, are very important it sounds like yeah, we're absolutely looking for churches uh, as partners. Churches got any ideas about how they can, uh, uh, you know, help ex-prisoners? Well, come and talk to us. They want to find out about a hub, come and talk to us. 
Um, but one thing we are um, finding it difficult, particularly over the last year with the pandemic, is, is keeping enough people coming into our mentoring training programme. We've just run a course for, I think we did about 12 or 14, and we'll be doing one in the new year. And we really do need to get on more mentors, and particularly men, as we work with far more men than women, because 95% of the prison estate is male. So we really do need individuals to come forward as mentors. That's something which is quite key. But we have 12 churches who partner with us on the Christmas gift project. So we've got good contacts, but certainly any church that's interested in finding out about more or any individual, please contact me. So listeners who hear this and think, well, that, that might be something I'd be interested in, in helping with, look at the website or get in contact yeah. with, with you. Yeah, go to the website, get in contact us through the website. You'll find our email address there. Uh, um, and uh, please do get in touch. Any other ways that we can support your work? I'm guessing through through prayer, through financial contributions, other, other things that we might be able to help with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, please do pray for our work, pray for the people we're working with. I mean, during the pandemic, most people in prison have been locked up between 23 and 22 hours a day in their cell. Just, just, just reflect on that, how hard the pandemic has been for us locked up in our home. Imagine being locked in a cell with somebody who you might be terrified of, dislike intensely, sharing a toilet for 23 hours a day for not weeks, but over a year. So pray, pray for people in prison. Also pray for the staff in prison. It's a really tough job, you know, and I've said some, you know, things which can be uh, perceived as negative about uh, um, the prison system, but I meet amazing people in the prisons who run the prisons. Uh, Bristol Prison got some absolutely am amazing people there who really work in tough circumstances with very broken people. So pray for them, um, pray for ourselves, pray that the money will keep coming in. Fundraising for uh, uh, prisoners is not exactly a glamorous cause, and we're always gonna come a long way down the list. And it would be lovely if we had more income from the churches, to be honest. Uh, a lot of our, our funding comes from secular trusts. And it would, be a, it would be great if more income could come from the churches. Um, because, you know, 61, I think, is, is a practical expression of Jesus's love to those who are not only on the margins, but who are despised and hated. Could I finish, Tim, by asking about your vision for the future? So in, in an ideal world, what, what would you see the prison system and the church's engagement with that looking like, let's say, in, in 10 years' time? What would be, what are we working towards with, with this work? Well, what I would love to do is we have no uh, ambition to grow 61 out of Bristol and become a national organisation, partly because funding a national organisation working criminal justice is virtually impossible because it's just not a popular cause. But what I want to see happen is I want to see 61 replicated. So I want other cities to say, actually what they're doing, we can do. You know, there's no reason we can't do that. You know, if you think of the large cities, they'll all have prisons in them, even the medium-sized cities. You know, you can find the people there to recreate a 61. And then a 61 equivalent, or whatever it's called, can, can really uh, be sustainable by tapping into the support of the churches um, and local trusts. So I'd like to see that because I would like, you know, there are 135 odd prisons across this country. You know, there are tens of thousands of churches. So if there were, you know, 20 churches genuinely engaged in providing this relational and informed and enabled support to each one of those prisons, it would be transformational to rehabilitation in this country. Yeah. And the only thing, the only thing that's stopping us doing that is us. The church can do it if it wants to. 
um, so that's the long-term vision. Uh, that's my long-term vision for 61. It would be such a blessing to see that happen. It, it's really inspirational work. Thank you for everything you're doing. And um, yeah, I think it's just something we often don't talk about. So thank you also for the time and, and giving this opportunity to, to learn a little bit more about this. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Adrian. This podcast was produced by me, Emily McGrath, with thanks to Tim Holmes, who is speaking to Adrian Hawkins about the work of 61. This podcast was brought to you by the Resonate Bristol team in association with St. Stephen's and Holy Trinity Hotwells churches. The music was created by Scott Holmes, accessed through the free music archive. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Resonate Bristol. Join us again next time.